a word from our sponsor. So let's talk about the holidays and divorce. It is a super stressful time for families, especially when alcohol is involved. And our friends over at Soberlink want to help. Soberlink has teamed up with divorce and family law experts to provide information that you didn't know that could provide peace of mind during the holidays. So for those who still haven't heard about Soberlink, it is the solution for you if you're going through a divorce and custody case involving alcohol. Whether you are falsely accused of alcohol use or are concerned about your child's safety because of the other parent's alcohol use, Soberlink can help. Soberlink works hard to keep children safe, offering a remote alcohol monitoring system that is the gold standard because of its incredible technology. Don't miss out on Soberlink's free guide for the upcoming holiday season. You can request it right now at www.soberlink.com slash DSG. That's me, the Divorce Survival Guide. So soberlink.com slash DSG. Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, happy be new year. It's almost here. 2023. How are you going to make it great? I guess that's always the question on the table, but for you guys I think it's a um it's kind of a deeper question, right? If you have been contemplating divorce, if you have been questioning the state of your marriage for as long as most of us do, um Usually, this is a time when the question looms even larger. Um, There is a reason that January is considered divorce month. So uh, if you are there and you are having all of these questions, first of all, you are not alone. And secondly, um, I hope that you take advantage of all that I have to offer with my programs, um, Grit and Grace, Y'all, it's the bomb. I just want to let you know that, you know, I am taking private clients and we'll put a link in the show notes to the page for private work. I know that a lot of you feel like, you know, you want (laughs) one-on-one attention and I totally get that. I am taking on a very select handful of private clients in the new year, but I also want to let you know that Grit and Grace, I don't think there's anybody in Grit and Grace who would say that they don't get Uh, private attention. Because on our calls, really everybody has gotten a tremendous amount of personalized attention from me and, and, and with the feedback from the group. And really the community aspect, as I always say, the community aspect is the most wonderful part of this program. Probably the the greatest thing in this program are the are the women who are in it. <laughs> I mean, then there's me, but you know they're truly gorgeous, um, and I would love for you to join us. But again, if you feel like personalized attention is what you need, then please um, head on over to my website, kateanthony.com/slash/private-coaching. And again, the link will be in the show notes, and you can check out the options that I have available. Speaking of divorce month. My guest today is Dawn Deus, and she is a freelance writer and a designer, and her previous books include The Shit No One Tells You, The Shit No One Tells You About Pregnancy, The Shit No One Tells You About Toddlers, and The Shit No One Tells You About Baby Number Two, and The Nonrunner's Marathon Guide for Women. All were published by Seal Press and have topped Amazon.com bestseller lists and have been featured by countless TV and print media sources. Her uniquely sarcastic 
yet inspiring tone has entertained and guided an enthusiastic core of readers towards their various ridiculous parenting and athletic goals. And her most recent book, The Shit No One Tells You About Divorce, is going to be released in January of 2023. And I love this book, you guys. I really do. It is tongue in cheek. It is her writing style is really accessible and fun. It's 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 a great book. And this is a great conversation. So you can pre order the book or just get it in a in a probably a few short days, uh, everywhere that you can get them uh, that you get books. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Don Deus. Don, thank you so much for coming on and talking about your new book, which I'm super excited about. This is The Shit No One Tells You About Divorce. Thank you for having me. Shit No One Tells You About Divorce, A Guide to Breaking Up, Falling Apart, and Putting Yourself Back Together. So you sort of run the gamut from start to finish almost. Yeah, that when we were first coming up with the title and the subtitle for the for a while, the subhead was um, someone else came up with the the guide to what was it breaking up without falling apart? And I was uh-huh. like, yeah, that that's not an option. So <laughs> we're going to need to <laughs> like change that. Apart. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. I'm like, I think that's a huge part of it is the falling apart, right? And if yes. you're not allowing yourself that, then it's going to happen eventually. So might as uh, well lean into it at some point. So true. So true. I want to, I'm going to get to that, the, the falling apart part. Um, you talk about the seven stages of divorce and I want to get into, I'll get to that in a second, but I want to start off like in the introduction, you talk about how so many people say like, it's going to be okay. You guys are going to get through this. Everything's going to be great. And you're like, awesome. What the (laughs) fuck do I do now? (laughs) Right. And you call it in the meantime. Yeah. That's really what this book is for. Right. Yeah. I, I was, I had a, a few friends that were a little bit ahead of me on their divorce timelines a couple of years out, some even five years out. And I was just sort of spinning and they were like, it's going to be fine. You guys are going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. And I'm like, I, I know that logically, but like, what the fuck am I supposed to do in this meantime? Because I think, you know, you know that it's going to be okay, but there is the meantime is kind of that time between when everything blows up and you, and when you get to a point in your life where it's no longer like this new thing, it just is, it just is life. It's just your life now and it's calm and there's no like chaos and no vitriol. It's just, you've sort of settled into this new version of you and you're happy with it and you're content. And there's nothing that like, there's no guarantee as to when that happens. And I think I was always kind of looking, it's kind of like when I had a new baby where Mm -hmm. I'd be looking at like the what happens at age one month, two months, three months. And I would just get so upset when they wouldn't hit those milestones. So I was just kind of the same thing with divorce. I was looking for somebody to tell me, when is this shit going to get easier? When is it going to stop feeling like this? And there there really was no answer to that. Yeah. Because, I mean, first of all, everybody's process is completely different. Yeah. That experience of like, okay, everything's okay. It's like, that can take years. Yes. Yes. Nobody tells you how long this process is going to take. And it's kind of shitty. Like, sorry, guys, but that's the deal. I know it's it's hard because I've had a lot of people reach out to me since finding out that I wrote this book. And now all of a sudden I've become some sort of expert, which I think is hilarious because essentially I'm an expert in failure. Right. Mm. Like I, I failed at marriage. So, yeah, give me a call. I'll I'll definitely guide you along this path. But I'm I'm far enough removed now that I can tell them it's going to be okay in the same way everyone else told me it was going to be okay. But I try not to sugarcoat what they're going to go through. Like it's okay. it's going to yeah. be very, very hard because a lot of people, they'll ask for advice before they leave, kind of like what you deal with. And it's like, should I stay or should I go sort of thing? And mm-hmm. I think, and I think I did this where I saw the divorce or the leaving as like a finish line. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of, especially if you're in a divorce with kids, like it, you sometimes you wait a really long time to finally right. get out and you just think, okay, when I finally leave, everything's going to be fine. And then it's not fine. And you just don't have the right. like reserves to deal with the emotional impact of 
okay, I have to now rebuild everything. And you're already exhausted from these years of this thing dying. So I try to warn people of that. Like, even if you get to the end and you actually pull the trigger, you're going to have a very long road after that. But it's okay because at the end, like you're going to be a better version of yourself. Everything's going to be better than it is now, but it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. And it's, it's hard to tell people that. It is, but I think it's important too, right? Because, yeah. you know, we're just, we're just managing people's expectations here, right? We're just, we're just, we're giving it to you straight, but we're also managing your expectations, right? I know that I had that too. Like when I got out, I went straight to, you talk about one of your stages. Um, I went straight to like, <laughs> I'm out, I'm free. And then like, you know, a few months or a year later, I was like, you know, face first in the dirt. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah. I was like, Hey, wait, I, nobody told me about this. Like I, I, I thought I, I, I was trying to skip things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You, you just want to jump over the hard part. Yeah. And yeah. especially if you initiate it, you think, I think there is something people think, Oh, the one who initiates it, there's nothing t- for them to heal from, or there's nothing for them to process because they're the one that, that, you know, called the time of death. But it's like, I think I thought that too. I was just, okay, I'm finally out of this thing that was not great. And then I had a whole healing process to just sort of find myself again and rebuild. And I I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. So, and it's important. It's important to do. You cannot skip over that. And I feel like Mm -hmm. some people, like they jump right into relationships and stuff. And I think it does catch up with you eventually because you have to process it eventually I, and it's going to happen. Right. I see it all the time. It happened to me too, where I got like right into this like wonderful relationship with this wonderful man. He was so amazing. He was so loving and kind and gentle and sweet. And, you know, we had this connection and blah, blah, blah. But like three months in, I was like, I started having, I was like in bed with him and I would have dreams about my ex. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and they would start to surface in my dreams. And then finally it was like, they were surfacing in life. And there was this, there was this grief taking hold of me that I was like, what is happening? And I had to end this relationship with this person who was quite wonderful, but I was, I was not there. Yeah. I had this, a similar experience and it was about three months in when I was like, I, and that's when I got into therapy because I was like, oh, I have yeah. some stuff to deal with. And it wasn't yeah. that the same things were happening in that relationship that happened in my previous one. It was, I was, I wasn't comfortable with the vulnerability required. I wasn't, mm. I wasn't ready. And no, right, you exactly. really want to be ready because it feels so good to feel good. But you're like, oh no, I'm not of any use to this human. Like I really right. need to go get my shit together so I can be of value to someone. Yeah. And then there are all the other really shitty choices, right? Like there was that one guy who was really wonderful. And then there were all the other ones that were just absolutely dreadful. (laughs) I mean, not dreadful, but like just not good choices, not good choices. So in your book, you talk about um, the seven stages of divorce. And so I just want to go through a couple of them. You said the first one is denial. Yes. Yes. I, when I, the first therapy, one of the first therapists I talked to said that it was, um, divorce is going to be a grief process. And it just, that didn't really connect with me because at that mm-hmm. point, like you, I was definitely not grieving. Um, but then I realized, oh, there is, there definitely are stages. And I was, I probably, when she told me that I was heavy in the denial stage, actually, <laughs> All right. there's a lot of different ways you can go in the denial, right? You can deny that. I, I you know, a lot of people deny that it's even happening. And then, you know, the person moves out and they're still in denial that it's actually going to lead to divorce. Oh, we're just taking some time. <laughs> yes. I see that all the time. I I do talk about this denial as being the first stage, especially when you end it, when you're the person who ends it, like expect the other person to, to be in complete denial for as long as possible. Yeah. And then when you're the one that ends it, I think there's a denial of how many more stages you're going to have. Like I said, you get to that end and you just think I am free (laughs) and it's, it just doesn't play out like that. You know, there's just a lot of other things that you're having to process. For me, a big part of it that was actually grief was losing my kids 50% of the time. Sure. And I don't think I really understood that for a year or two. Mm. Because a lot of what I went through was 
the loss of them and not having yes. them a hundred percent of the time. It wasn't so yeah. much the loss of my ex, but it was, I love those babies. And I stayed as long as I did because I couldn't bear the thought of not being with them every single day. Yeah. And so that hit me really hard. And I think I was in denial about how hard that was hitting me. So, mm-hmm. um, denial is just, it's big. <laughs> it's big yeah. at the beginning. <laughs> It is. It's very true. So then you said the second stage is glee slash booze. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I said this one, it sometimes, you know, depends on who instigated the divorce. But for me, there was a lot of exuberance. Mm -hmm. And I know for other people that exuberance and booze is brought by their friends who are like, screw that guy. Let's have some champagne. You're better off without him type of thing. And so sometimes it's fake it till you make it glee, you know, just, sure. oh no, I didn't like him anyway. Blah, blah, blah. I'm glad she left or it's, it it is, it's still heavily leaning into the denial (laughs) stage because it's just, everything's fine. Everything's great. This is so much better. It's a lot of dancing around and, um, celebrating something that ultimately is going to be one of your biggest heartbreaks of life. But you know, yeah, it's the beginning of things. So we have some champagne. I definitely, I definitely uh, was in that. I was in the glee booze stage while the booze lasted a good 10 years till I (laughs) had to, had to stop that. Um, But that, but that for me, that was denial. The booze was denial because it was masking and covering how much I grief I had to process and yeah, yeah. how much healing I had to do. So that was like a whole other thing. But I always recommend everyone go easy on the booze in the beginning. It's really easy to want to to drink a lot because it's really helpful to in numbing what's what you're feeling, but uh it's also numbing what you're feeling is not very helpful. Yeah. And booze, that's a whole other conversation with them the way booze has sort of been integrated into the experience of yes. being a mom and being a mommy partner. culture, mommy wine culture. Yeah. hundred yep, percent. Not really my thing, but it, yeah, it's interesting to watch people and the way yeah. they, they use booze in different uh, coping mechanisms, I guess, just for life, not necessarily even divorce or anything, but just life yep. and kids and everything. Yep. Yeah. That's a whole Absolutely. other thing. It is a whole other thing, but <laughs> it's, it's very true. And I, say that as a sober person. It's a, it's a whole other thing. So, okay. So the next stage is the blame game. Yeah, this is, this one can last a really long time. (laughs) Some people never get out of this one. Actually, it's really easy at the end and for years after the end to just say everything was the other person's fault. You know, Mm -hmm. I think whenever I talk to people, about their divorce and their healing. I, I always say, I always say there's got to come to point when you take ownership for whatever part you played. And there's always something that you can own up to. And it's not so much to like beat yourself up, but if you're going to get anything out of this experience and be better going forward, it can't just be the lesson can't just be don't marry an asshole, you know, like, <laughs> That can't be it. You know, you have to look at the role you played in things. And, but that takes a while. It takes a while to get to a point where you want to or willing to. So there's a very long stage of my ex did everything wrong and I am perfect. And let's just let that be the narrative. And, you know, if you don't have kids, that really can be the narrative because you never have to see this person again. <laughs> that could just be the story, right? Right. I think the most difficult thing for me is, you know, you is we have to split up and then we had kids together. So we, you can't just maintain whatever storyline you had going because I didn't, I didn't work. Right. You guys right. weren't able to make it work and you have to still have to do this amazingly difficult, important project together. And so you can't just be pointing fingers at each other for the next 20 years. It's not right. going to work, yeah. but the blame game is definitely a huge step at the beginning, a huge stage at the beginning that I, yeah. I highly recommend trying to move through <laughs> as quickly as you can, but I don't know. It's a hard one. <laughs> yeah. It is, it is. And it's, I mean, I think there's part of it is necessary because I mean, it's one of those things where like you were like you journal. I love this. One of the things that I love 
about your book is that you have all these chapters of on journaling <laughs> that you call like fuckity, fuckity, fuck, fuck, fuck it, fuck. What do you call them? <laughs> I I was talking to a bunch of people before I started writing the book and just a bunch of divorced people trying to kind of find a through line of experience and emotion and really just putting off the actual writing of the book. But <laughs> I had like hours long conversations with these people and I kept saying to them, you know, I haven't started writing this book yet because I I need to get in the right headspace so I don't write every chapter with the title, fuck you, you fucking fuck. And everybody <laughs> would like crack up and say, well, I would read that book though. And, right, right, and then right. I was thinking, well, you know, maybe that should be in the book. And I think, you know, rage is an important part of the process too. Like mm-hmm. getting that out. And yeah. Um, yeah, so in the book, there's, several different chapters, like rage journaling chapters. There's a lot of Zen throughout the book. And then we just sort of lean in to the petty and the rage in the fuck you, you fucking fuck Fuck chapters. I love them. I love them. They're scattered throughout the book. They're all called fuck you, you fucking fuck. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But my point about that is that the blame game is important. Like it is in that like, fuck you, you fucking fuck until you get sick and tired of yourself. Yeah. Because I mean, it's one of those things like, okay, So they did all this stuff. Well, I mean, like you can't change that. You can't change them. That's one of the big things I've worked on in therapy. So many things in therapy, but one of the big things is just this radical acceptance of who that person is. And especially if you have the co-parent with them, you'd have to just accept. I mean, not in every case, obviously there's abuse. There's, there's a lot of my narcissism. Yeah. There's, Yeah, 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 yeah. There's definitely, it's not every case where you're just like, oh, okay. Yeah, you're just abusive narcissist, so just accept that. But well, but also you can't change them. Like a narcissist yeah. actually legitimately can't change, right? So an abuser has no interest in changing. So you actually do have to lean into this radical acceptance so that you can protect yourself. Yeah. Because right? if you're yeah. continually trying to like get them to change, then all of your focus is on this other person when it could be on yourself. Yeah. Like you said, at a certain point it gets really exhausting and boring. Right. It's yeah. like, okay, you're no longer with this person. So that's yeah. what you did. You removed yourself from being with right. them. And so when you get to the end of the like, fuck you, you fucking fuck. And you've, and you've sort of gotten to the end, the, you know, the bottom of the well here, then you, then you start to go, okay, so what about me? <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and that's, I think the most important part because you, which is why I think the blame game is important to go through that. It's journaling all the all of your resentments so that you yeah. can then flip it on your, you know, okay, how was I responsible or what did I, what red flags did I miss or how did I show yeah. up in this? Because that's how we don't do this again. You have to find a lesson, right? Mm-hmm. Like there has mm-hmm. to be a lesson. And I think the only lessons can come from what did I do and how can I do better next time, you know, for myself, yeah. for the other person, you know, yeah. some cases it's like I went into mine in like I... There was a ton of reasons why I shouldn't have gone into the relationship I went into, (laughs) but you know, it was time to get married. It was time to have kids. And I'm like, let's do this thing. We look good on paper. (laughs) Right. Right. And you know, that's not fair to her. It wasn't fair to me or her. And Mm -hmm. you know, it blew up and that was probably not a surprise to anybody, but yeah. So I try, I think at that point, when you get past that rage and that blame, then that's when therapy can be really valuable because you're finally willing and ready to go, okay, I need to be better. How do I be better? And they're there. That person is that person and whatever and heal from what they may have done to you or whatever, but also heal from what you allowed to happen and just do better, be better. Yeah. I love you talk about, I'm going to keep going back with the stages, but I want to say that I, I love one part you talk about, um, in the book about therapy and how you just, you know, all of this money that you're wasting on therapy of trying to just like get sort of agreement about what a shit your ex was. And you were like, this is a waste of $175 a week. This is ridiculous. I have friends I can do that with. Right. And it wasn't until you were willing to stop complaining and start digging and like turn the focus back on yourself that you were like, okay, now it's time to go back to therapy. Yeah, I there I I wrote a chapter about therapy and like all the different times when you can mm-hmm. do therapy. It was funny because it was like towards the end we went to couples therapy and basically you just treat the therapist as a judge. You're hoping 
They yeah, just, you're right. both just going in there, like pleading your case, hoping that the, right. the therapist be like, yes, you're hundred percent right. And this person's an asshole. Here we go. Like yep. I'll write it down on a piece of paper and there's, you're never going to get anything out of therapy if that's, that's where you're at. And I was like, yeah, this is a waste of money. And then I had a similar strategy kind of at the end of things. And it, I was doing the same thing where I was just right. looking for validation that I was right. And yeah. <laughs> they were wrong. And I'm like this again, I don't see a lot about, I mean, I was, I knew what I was doing right. and I, I know, I mean, I was aware enough to know what I was doing and that I, it, it didn't feel good to just sit and yeah. bitch about someone for an hour and to pay for it. So right. it was, I went, I had a relationship, a, re- a really brief relationship, but there were things that happened in that relationship and the way I acted and the way I was and the way I, I wasn't able to be and all these different things that I was like, oh, I really, I got to get better. I need to work on myself. And, um, and there's just a ton of stuff I haven't processed. Not mm-hmm. even just having to do with my ex, just how he even got into that relationship to begin with. What are the roots of all this stuff? Exactly. And it's exactly. never that person, right? It's always so much deeper than that. And exactly. I I was like, I just am ready. I'm ready yeah. to like actually get better. And I think it's exciting for a therapist when they hear that because they're like, oh, let's go. You know, all right, like, good. let's dig in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Instead of just sitting there the whole time going, oh, that must have been so hard for you. That must have been so hard for you. You know, like. Now give me some tools. Tell me mm-hmm. what I can do to be better. What can I read? How can I, yeah. I don't know, heal. Yeah. 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 So, so true. So true. And you have to be ready, right? Like a therapist can't make you ready. You can't make yourself, you know, you got to be there. Um, all right. So let's back to the stages. The seven <laughs> back stages. To the stages. We have the next one we have is Netflix and cry. Yeah, I was, I did. And I'll, now, also, these stages are not necessarily linear. There's sometimes never, you hit. They're never right. Like, no. Yeah. And mm-hmm. there's not like once you, you you don't like finish and get some sort of graduating degree from that stage and never re-enter that stage again. Right. Sometimes three or four of these stages can happen all within about 12 hours. So like mm-hmm. it, you know, like it's a crazy time. You're all over the yep. place. Yeah. The Netflix and cry is sort of the beginning of, I think it's sort of the beginning, right? Because it's like. It's when you're really like, oh, this is real and this is happening and this is this is sad. Even if you're the one that ended it, it's still mm-hmm. you blew up a life, yeah. you know. And like I said, losing my kids was really really hard for me. It's only I mean, I didn't lose them; I had them fifty percent of the time. But you know, I was a very and it was during the pandemic, so I had been home with them literally twenty four hours a day. Right. You know, it was just it was a lot. And so there was a lot of just sort of (laughs) turning on Netflix, watching depressing documentaries, like not even uplifting shows. I was just like, can I find the saddest documentaries ever produced just so I can just cry and there'd be a reason, right? Like this is the saddest thing I've ever watched. Yeah. Yeah, And just order takeout and just lean into it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But for me, yeah, I, I was so numb for so long leading up to my divorce and that um, the unnumbing of me was quite um, a process. Yeah. And part of that was just like actually leaning into sadness and allowing mm-hmm. it instead of pushing it down the way I had for so many years, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. All the leading up to it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize, I didn't realize how numb I was until I started coming back to life. Totally. And right? I it's like, like when the oh. nerves start to like tingle and like shoot <laughs> and you're like, Oh, hello. <laughs> yeah. And it was, it was, I didn't, I don't think I handled it very well because it, I was so numb for so long that like things coming back online, I was so overwhelmed by it. I just yeah. Yeah. like, it, it, it wasn't a comfortable state for me. It felt chaotic and untethered. And I think everybody around me got hit with that. And I feel really bad because mm. I didn't have the tools to, to manage that or navigate that in a way that I should have you know, than an adult should have. <laughs> so yeah. uh, it's one of my biggest regrets. Uh, I wish I would have gotten into therapy earlier to, but I did the time. I don't, I, I don't but know. I- I mean, I, I kind of want to normalize that as a as a coach, right? Who yeah. not that not that you asked me for coaching, but I think it's important to normalize that because emotions are messy. 
you know, and when you've been suppressing them for so long and they're, everything's coming back online, you're, you're extra sensitive. Those yeah. nerve endings are like just being activated again and you touch them and they freak the fuck out. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's perfectly normal. Um, and it's, and I think it's important to know that, right. That, which is why we're not really ready to be in a relationship yet, <laughs> which is why, right. We're really not quite there yet, but also sometimes that having that experience is part of the process. I think it really messed up my relationship with my ex at the the beginning of the end. But then I look back at that too. And I think our boundary, there was, there was no boundaries. It was during the pandemic. The pandemic was just amazing anyway, but you know, we had the kids home 24 seven. So even when I moved out, I was still back in the house every day teaching homeschool and we owned a bunch of properties together. We still had joint bank accounts. We, she had a key to my house. Like it was, it was not separate. And um, when I finally blew up and just was like, Oh, I'm done. It, I made it separate in a very ugly way. And I think it was just my way of setting a boundary, but I, I see that now, right? I see now from like a logical standpoint, oh, I was trying to set a boundary, but the way I the way I was doing it was like, let's just drop a bomb in the middle of this thing that <laughs> and that's not fair. It it yeah, I mean, it is what it is, but it it was hurtful, you know, in a way that probably wasn't necessary. But then at the same time, I think maybe we did need that, you know? That's sort of I, I feel the same way because I did I did something similar. And I look back on it and I'm like, gosh, I regret it. And then I say, you know what? I don't know that we could have severed what needed to be severed without the nuclear option. Like it just, it just, it's kind of what we needed, you know, and it sucked. But I also think it provided that's the space that was very, very desperately needed. Yeah. I mean, I think at the the end where we landed is okay. It just took me a long time, I think, to, to regain trust that my ex repartnered up real quick. And so that person came on the scene and all they knew of me was this psychotic nuclear person, right? So it, it took her a long time. And I'm not sure if she ever, if she even believes it yet, that that wasn't, that's not me, that that was like, it was so... I think she's kind of always like waiting for me to go. And I'm like, no, you know, and I mean, it was me you have to take ownership of like, yes, that was me. It, my therapist was, would, you know, give me the excuse of, oh no, it wasn't you. It was did it. And I'm like, well, no, like if I went out and shot someone, I couldn't be like, oh, your honor. Sorry. That wasn't, that wasn't me. (laughs) That wasn't really me. Like, no, I didn't. I have to take responsibility for it, but I do think that, there needs to be some grace and like, you know, this is a very tumultuous time. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah. So yeah, I regret it. But like you said, I think that ultimately it's what had to happen. I just regret that it, it was as ugly as it, it got. One of the questions I get asked a lot in my Facebook group, my programs, on Instagram is what do I do with my engagement ring, my wedding ring? I've got all of these beautiful diamonds. I don't know what to do with them. Well, today's sponsor, Worthy, can help you get the most money possible for your jewelry, fast and risk-free. When you partner with Worthy, they do all the work for you and their competitive auctions get you up to three times what a local jeweler would offer in as little as two weeks. The best part about Worthy is that you are in charge of what happens to your jewelry. You set the reserve price, you approve the winning bid, and then you get paid. And if your item doesn't sell for the price that you want, Worthy sends it back to you at no cost, fully insured. And now you can visit worthy.com slash DSG and get an extra $100 when your jewelry sells for over $1,500. That's worthy.com slash DSG. Worthy a better way to cash in on that hidden asset in your jewelry box. Worthy.com slash DSG. Okay. So another, the next stage next, but you know, in the, in the, in the law, in the non-linear, um, all the therapy. So I think we've sort of covered that. Yes. Um, do all of it. And then, 
Yeah. Do all the therapy, do all the therapy. <laughs> so much. And then it. there's, and then there's the hoe phase. <laughs> oh yes. This is a good one. You start this by saying, sure. Therapy is great. Leading <laughs> into the healing is going to serve us very well in the future, but all that is long-term shit. In the meantime, let's have a little fun. <laughs> I think this is a really important phase. Like I've recently even set up a several friends on different dating apps, guys, I'm taking pictures of them and stuff because these, these boys have no photos. I'm oh, just like, I they're mean, the worst. They all do them from below, first of all. Like, come on, guys. And they don't smile. I'm like, you look like no. a serial killer. What are you doing? Yes. You don't look sexy. You look like a serial killer. Let, come on. Like these, yes. these women. So I like put it on portrait mode. I'm like, look over there and smile and then help them like write oh this God. stuff. And then they yes. just, they get so, oh, I don't know. And, you know, girls do this too where I don't, I don't know about the going on the date and just, just go, just go on the dates. You're just mm-hmm. not, this person's not going to be your next spouse. I guarantee it. Just go have fun. Right. Like, I think it's really important after, especially after, you know, a long, the, a divorce that kind of takes a long time to die, a slow <laughs> dance to death. Like it's yeah. nice to just go feel good, you yes. know, and some, not necessarily be a hoe, but even just like, Go and just have a nice conversation with someone that isn't weighted down by like decades of bullshit and isn't weighted down by like mediation and, you know, custody agreements and all this is like, just go have fun. And if that means, you know, making out with a stranger too, then that can happen too. Like, I think that's fun too. Like just seeing someone be excited to see you and like, I don't know, discovering new bodies and having them discover your body and that kind of stuff. Like it's, it's just fun. And I think we, we still get wrapped up in this like purity culture thing, you know, like in my forties, as long as you're safe, go out and have some fucking fun. And especially, (laughs) you know, for, you know, as I'm, I am now in my fifties, which is just fucking gross. (laughs) Um, But I, you know, let me tell you, like I have zero, I have almost zero desire <laughs> at this point. So if you're in your forties and like you're in your, especially for women in your yes. sexual prime, like seriously, get on that. Like have a great time. Cause pretty soon yes. you're going to be like, ew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and like, that's me. It's so much, it was so much fun to date in my forties mm-hmm. as opposed yes. to your twenties. Like it's two adults oh, yeah. who just like, yes. I don't know, there's more confidence and there's what you like, you know, like it, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It just, and maybe you don't know what you like. Maybe someone can teach you new things. It, That's right. It's super fun. It's super it's fun. It's fun. And yep. it's silly and it's stupid. And I love when my friends who are recently single tell me about, you know, oh, you'll never guess what I did. And I'm like, That's fantastic. And it just yeah. makes them feel good. And it doesn't, you don't have to do it. it. There's other ways to feel good. You know, it doesn't, you don't have to wrap it up in some sort of like dating adventure. You can go, you know, work out, go on hikes, go move your body. That's not just that, but it's, there's something really fun about just meaningless connections, mm-hmm. you know, when everything mm-hmm. else feels so heavy, everything yes. else is just heavy. Like go have fun, go fuck around yeah. a little bit. I don't know. Seriously, absolutely, absolutely. Whatever that looks like to you, and whatever feels safe or comfortable to you. Yes, but it's it absolutely a hundred percent. Okay, so the final stage is the shrug. Yes, I always say that um, the opposite of love isn't hate. The opposite of love is indifference. Mm-hmm. And I think because love and hate are very close to each other, yeah. and they involve mm-hmm. they both involve a lot of emotion. So your, your ex is going to incite these feelings in you, these triggers in you for a really long time. And you know, you'll know when you finally are kind of at the end or sort of over the hump and on the other side, when they do their same bullshit that they've been doing (laughs) decades. And instead of getting enraged, you're like, you just kind of do a shrug. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Oh, look, there he goes again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. you know, like I'm still, it, still not there. I just have to say, I still get, <laughs> I do still get enraged every once in a while, and it's been, you know, a good fourteen years. But I still, every once in a while, when there's kids involved, it's really hard to to shrug off stuff. And sometimes you can't, and you shouldn't shrug off stuff if it has to do with your kids. 
And then you also get into like, am I, I did this a lot where I was like, didn't I leave and blow up my whole life to get away from this bullshit? And I'm still having to deal with this bullshit. Like that was a big thing where you're just like, wait, 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 hold up. I thought, I thought I was getting away from all this and like, oh, here this person Uh is still in my face for the next 10 years. It's like, oh, geez. So you just have to eventually, hopefully eventually get to that point where there's just sort of a shrug when Mm -hmm. that bullshit comes up and it's not always going to be, but I've gotten to where, and I think my ex has too, we've gotten lean deep into like pick our battles. That's right. You know, and there's some things I do, I do dig my heels in on, but I try not to make it every single thing because it's like, it's exhausting. Yeah. Well, what I always say about that is that like, then why get divorced? If you're going to get to, you have to divorce yourself from the dynamic that yeah. got you divorced in the first place. And so if you're going to continue to perpetuate that dynamic well into your divorce, why bother? Yeah. Yeah. I, I always say it's like when I got divorced, it was, and even in the process leading up to it is I gave up on mm-hmm. us. And yeah, I was no longer right. participating. I was no longer at the table participating in things. I was just done. Like I mentioned, a little bit vacant. One of the biggest lessons of my divorce is, oh, I can't be done <laughs> with this person. That sucks. Yeah. But And she can't be done with me. And so huh? we have to come back to this table and we have to figure out new ways of doing stuff. And we have to redefine how we are for each other and to each other and for our kids. It was actually her fiance. We were sitting at a table one time and my ex just said, you know, she's just always say this. We just speak different languages. It's just like a throwaway. And we literally do like, Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, I'm like, no, that's not what I said. (laughs) You know, how, how did you not, how am I hearing? Like, it's just, it's like speaking to, but her ex or her fiance said, yeah, but people learn new languages all the time. So like, that's not an excuse. So like do better. And I was like, oh, that's what we have to do. We have to figure out how to talk to each other instead of around each other and over each other, which is what we've been doing for, you know, a decade and a half. I love that she said that. That's so great. (laughs) Yeah. I think she was, I think she's like so exhausted being in the middle of us because she has to hear, you know, just like, because she came on reboard really early. Yeah. And that's a lot. But that's what we had to do. Like we had to come back. I have to know how she hears things. I have to, you know, I have to communicate with her in a way that yes, I know mm-hmm. she's going to hear me and I have to give right. her a certain amount of time to process. I have to, and then she has to give me certain things so that we can make sure that we're just, I mean, we were doing this project together. We both adore our kids and we want to mm-hmm. do what's best for them. And so, you know, it has helped that time has passed. And so the, the initial anger and all the stuff that comes with blowing up a life has, you know, settled down. We're both so happy and that mm-hmm. helps a lot, but it also is us both taking a step, like taking a breath and not immediately responding to texts. I said, every once in a while, I see when yeah. she goes to respond and I see the dot, 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 right, dot, right, right, right. And, and then, then it stops. She, and then she goes, it stops. And she goes, okay. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, look at us. Yeah. Right. It, this is progress. And I do the same thing. I'm like, <laughs> delete and don't send. Like it, cause yeah. you, like you can't do it. Like that's a huge thing too. Do not just don't, don't answer the text. Don't, don't go crazy over email or text. It just mm-hmm. doesn't. A woman told me recently, she was like, you know what I'm going to do? My Someone recommended, and I don't know what your thought is on this. I re- Someone recommended that I write down a letter, write a letter to my ex telling him mm-hmm. everything that mm-hmm. is in my heart and, blah, 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 and then give it to him. And I was like, no, mm, no, no, no. And I said, no, <laughs> no, no. no. You burn that. You burn that. <laughs> and I, I have a chapter in my book that is, is called The Story. And I think that was a big thing for me. It was like, her story was so different than my story. And I was just like, but I felt crazy because I was like, that's not what happened. But I'm like, it, it just is what it is. Like people have different versions of stories. Eyewitnesses to crime see different things. And so like every story is colored by, you know, everything. So I told her, I said, yes, write that down, write it all down, get it all out. And then like you said, burn it. Like just do let it go. Give it to them. <laughs> like what's... well, and what? Well, so what you're trying to do, and I and I understand sort of the the impulse, right? Which is that you want them to understand your narrative and your story, as you said. 
And one of the hardest things to comprehend and to and to really like assimilate into your psyche is that you're going to walk away from this with different narratives yeah. and that you have no control over what their narrative is. And all you can do is have your own, right? Write it down, own it, own the shit out of your narrative, yeah. but also know that they're over there owning the shit out of their narrative. And you can tell everyone in the world what your narrative is. And they're going to be equally telling everyone in the world what their narrative is. And you literally can't stop it. You literally can't. And so, you know, it's, it, it's, and it's hard. It's a hard pill to swallow. That but was probably the most difficult thing for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's really oh. hard. Um, and when you, and when you sort of accept um, that. And so when you're trying to write that letter, right. And you want to give it to them, what you're trying to do is control their narrative. <laughs> yeah. Right. And it's just like, it's not going to do anything. It's just not. And you're once again, and you know, what's interesting in my case, my case, you know, my ex partnered up really quick. I think in that case there, her narrative gets reinforced because she's telling it to someone. Right. And that person. And so it's a, now two people believe this narrative and I'm trying to co-parent with two people who believe a narrative that, isn't quite true, but also it's colored by the fact that I went insane at the very beginning. Right. right so like, right. You know, it's a little yeah. valid, but you and went insane also because of that new partner coming in like super quickly, right. You yes. were triggered. Like, of course you were, but you know, it was not my brightest, greatest moment, no, but I get it. I eventually had to let go of the fact that, you know, every conversation we had, it was like, bringing up the past and the past was colored in different ways. And then I was just like, so it would be this argument and this, like yeah. me trying to make my case. And eventually I'm just like, whatever, whatever, no, whatever. But I did. So that was probably about a year of whatever. Mm -hmm. when I finally just like, eh, okay, sounds good. And I got calm. And within the last six months or so, my ex and this might be one of the benefits of being divorced from a woman mm -hmm. is that she's called me up a couple of times and been like, so um, I, I think that maybe I, I had something to do with our relationship not working too. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I mean, yeah. and that's what I used to always say it was never, my defense was never that you were awful and I was perfect. My defense was always like, it was a relationship. Like there was no yeah. bad guy. It was nuanced. Like things ebb yeah. and flow. Like we both contributed to something that just didn't work and we don't work together and that's okay. Like it doesn't, there doesn't need to be a bad guy. Right. And that was kind of what I always said, but I think for her healing, it, there needed to be a certain storyline mm -hmm. mm -hmm. and I just like, whatever. And then she kind of got to it, I think on her own. Because she's in a new relationship and probably is having some of the similar issues come right back up. And she's like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. And maybe like when you get a little distance from something and you're no longer in that sort of fight or flight, you're no longer in that like stance of protective and like defensive mm -hmm. and you're wrong and I'm I'm right. Right. And you kind of just get into life. Then maybe that gives you the chance to be like, oh, yeah, maybe it, it wasn't all the other person's fault. Yeah. Maybe just reality gets a chance to to seep in. I don't think that's going to be the case for everyone. <laughs> no, I, I don't no. think most people are going to have their ex randomly call up and be like, so I'm sorry about that thing I did. You know, like it's not right. going to happen, but you, you right. can't, you can't need that. And I didn't need it. Yeah. So it was interesting that when it happened, I had moved so far beyond me. <laughs> I was like, okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry too. I, you know, yeah. we both yeah. contributed to, the, to this thing that didn't work. And I hope that we can do better for our kids now. That's right. And that's the most important part. So we sort of touched on this a little bit, but do you feel like there are different dynamics with parenting and relationships and divorce coming from the perspective of LGBTQ plus couples? Like, well, like I said to you before we started chatting, chatting I've never been straight divorced. So mm -hmm. I can't speak to that. I think, and this might sound sort of, I mean, it's a, there's a lot of women involved <laughs> and, <laughs> for better or worse. <laughs> and I, think, I think both, you know, my kids have three moms right now. If I ever remarry, my kids will have four moms. I need you to send lots of oh. thoughts and prayers for my son. who's just like, there's 
so many women and God bless him. He is the sweetest boy. He is very well versed in, in women. Um, it's a lot. I mean, there, it's a lot. I don't, I don't know if the fact that it's two women divorcing increases the emotion. I mean, I imagine everybody's super emotional during divorce. I, I don't, I, and everybody's different, right? Some people are more logical. Some people are more emotional. I think in the actual divorce and the very beginning with my ex and me and then her new partner, that's a lot of women. Mm-hmm. And I remember when my friends, she has a, you know, an ex-husband and then a new husband. And I'm trying to explain the dynamics of three women. And she's got two men that are both super laid back guys. And so she just yeah. kind of, she kind of runs a show and that's not how every man is, but it, not, but <laughs> her men are like, they're pretty laid back guys. And yeah. so <laughs> my ex and I are both very good moms and we're both very invested in being good moms and showing up for our kids. And that's a good thing for our kids, but it can, especially at the beginning, be very difficult for you know, trying to figure out how to split up time and trying to be fair and mm-hmm. just trying to hold everything together when you're with the kids and not be overly emotional and everything. But that, I don't think, you know, men have emotions too. Sure. Yeah. But right. I, I will say, I think that co-parenting with three women or two other women, I think that has been really amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. that I, I, recently had to show up for a family member and I needed my ex to help me out, you know, and watch the kids. And without hesitation, she did it. And then she got sick while I was gone and her, her fiance picked up the slack and took care of the kids and got them to a recital and this and that and did it. And great. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's it's three moms, like three moms getting shit done. (laughs) Yeah. Like three women can handle business, you know? And again, I, I don't think that's to say that dads can't, I just, I, there's some people that have, you know, not great experiences with their ex-husbands and some people that have awesome experiences with their ex-husbands. And it's just a people thing, not necessarily a, a gay or straight thing. Yeah. But you know, they're also in our relationship, we had a delegation of tasks and I think that happens in any relationship and not necessarily Mm -hmm. like, my job was a little more flexible. So I did a lot more of the kids stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. I was just able to, you know, do a lot more moving the kids around and I'm just more of a scheduler. So I did a lot of like the scheduling, the kids stuff. And she did a lot of the like outside, (laughs) like me and my freaking sprinklers after Uh. she moved out. I'm just trying to figure out my damn drip system. Right. And just, it's, you know, stereotypical dude stuff. And yeah, I can do all of it. I just really don't want to. And so, you know, I learned how to do a lot of it, but then also just found some dudes and they, you know, a handyman. And yeah, I heard you right. talking about that on one of your episodes of like, don't call it guy stuff. Cause guy and women can do anything they want to. Yeah. And I totally agree with that. But I also think that there needs to be some recognition that like, you know, you cannot do every single thing or you're going to drown. This, like, I am woman, hear me roar. I am woman, like, I'm going to outsource this shit. Like, that's I- right. And you have a chapter on this in the book, which I love, which is like, you know, you have categories and then you have like, I got this or I can YouTube this or like, or outsource it. it. Yeah. Or outsource like, it. Right. Like, like, you don't have to do it all. Yeah. I think that's, that's one of the biggest gifts of getting older is like not having to prove to anyone that I can do every single thing. And being a mom is so overwhelming. And especially in the early years, you do want to do all the things and then you're just well, drowning. And one right. of the things that you're not doing is taking care of yourself. And so I've got a handyman that I adore. And so when I just like let stuff kind of pile up and he'll come and do stuff like I'm and I have paid someone to put my lights up on my house because my ass is not getting up on my roof and putting lights up on my Christmas lights on my house. It's not happening. No. But I figured out my sprinklers, you know, yeah, like, yeah you did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. There's a lot of cussing, but you know, there's stuff I can do or whatever. But I think, I think that's part of it too, is in any couple, when you split up, there's a delegation of tasks that can feel overwhelming when they all become your tasks. Yes, and there's absolutely. probably always a parent that does more stuff with the kids. And that's, it's just, 
my my ex was super involved and has always been super involved with the kids, but I was kind of tasked with the home stuff. So mm-hmm. when we split up, I know it was really overwhelming for her because she she wasn't used to running a home. Yes. Right. You know? Yeah. And for me, it wasn't as overwhelming because I was used to running at home. And one of those things I was running was a partner that maybe needed a little bit of assistance. So I I was kind of like, this is, I don't have my kids 50% of the time. I've got no partner. Like my house is spotless. This is awesome. Yeah. But I don't know. What was your experience co-parenting with a man in the beginning? Um, you know, I will say that my, so my, it was, there was a lot of stuff. First of all, I had been a stay at home mom for a while. So there was stuff that was actually my job that he was like, I don't know how to do this. (laughs) You know, my response to him usually was like, you're really smart and I'm sure you can figure this out. Cause I didn't want to continue to, to do the shit that he was going to have to figure out. Right. And the best way for me to do that was to be really kind, but to also take my hands off and not like jump in and do it all for him. But I also have, uh, it was really funny. We were having a conversation about this the other, uh, the other day. And I said something about like the mental load and unpaid labor in the house. We were talking about my son and I was saying to my son, like, you know, I need to raise you to be able to, you know, do these things and be proficient at them because you know, someday you're going to be in a relationship. He's straight. So you're going to be in a relationship with a, with a woman. And I don't want you to be, you know, one of those dudes who's just like, doesn't know how to, you know, it's like weaponized incompetence. And, all. and my ex was like, what are you talking about? Why is that a feminist issue? I don't understand what you're talking about. Cause I said something like, I'm about to get on my feminist soapbox. And I said, that's because you're a unicorn because my ex for all the issues that we had he would come home from a full day of work and like immediately start like cooking or doing dishes uh-huh. or like giving giving our son a bath. Like he was always an equal partner in the house. And I will tell you, that is so unusual. Yeah. yeah. Especially for like a straight white man and especially for <laughs> the person who was the breadwinner. Yeah. You know, and yeah. he's like, oh, you're talking about dudes who just like come home, put their feet up on the couch and like crack a beer. I was like, yeah. <laughs> And he was like, oh, yeah, gross. <laughs> yeah, well, that's great that your son is seeing that model. I think my experience was was different than a lot of people. But, I mean, it's really interesting because I do have a lot of people that will say to me, like, yeah, your content feels really heteronormative. And I'm like, okay, but I am a straight woman. And I do <laughs> – and I'm starting to to – like, my book is, I say, partner and they – Because I want it to be a little bit, I do want it to be less heteronormative. And I don't know if the, I don't know how much is different. I have a lot of people who follow me who get a lot of, and I have clients who, who are lesbians and they get as much out of my content as straight people. I just like, I don't know what's, I don't know what different what the differences really are again, because I've actually never been a lesbian. So I don't know. (laughs) know? I've I've never been straight straight. divorced. Right. (laughs) Right. So I was like, I don't know. (laughs) I remember I went out with the, I've been, I've dated a lot and I've dated a lot of women who um, are just recently decided, Oh, maybe I'll go out with women. Glennon Doyle, Glennon Doyle has convinced all these straight women that perhaps they need to touch a boob. It's, it's uh, an epidemic. So it it is, but also I under listen, I get it. Like <laughs> if I could, I would. Yeah. It's not a choice. I'm desperate to not be straight, but here we are. Yeah. So well, I understand. <laughs> I went out with a woman that was like, I have so many questions. And I'm like, oh, okay, what questions do you have? But it was just like, you know, who opens the door? And I'm like, I don't know whoever's closest to the door who pays for dinner. I don't, maybe you go 50, 50, whoever picks it up. But like, and I think, right. It's the chivalry thing. That's not there. It's that people need to have roles. And so they, they very much get confused when there's not a man because then who does the man stuff. Right. But I think with women, you know, and there's definitely, you know, female, female relationships where there is one who is, you know, definitely takes on a more masculine role or whatever but mm-hmm. you, i think the the fun of two women is that you there's still a, a sharing of responsibilities but there's no assumption 
of right. going to do that. Uh-huh. And wouldn't that be beautiful if that's how it was in every relationship? And I think we're getting closer to that where it's not just our like- kids are getting there. Yeah. Our kids, I mean, I see that with, with my son and his girlfriend and all of his friends. Like, I think we're getting closer. It is true. Certainly on the, um, in the more liberal zones, but- <laughs> Yeah, it's just like- Cause it just, it seems so crazy to think that there's only, you know, one person in a relationship can do a certain thing. Right. Um, but I do think it is, it, it happens in every relationship. You just kind of split stuff up and there are certain tasks that one person maybe does better or just kind of takes over doing. But I do think with two women, maybe it's not written in stone or it's not assumed. Right. Yeah. And sure. I always felt so lucky to have a female partner when I had the babies because she was yeah. just, she knew what she was doing. And, you know, she was yeah. raised around a bunch of, I had no idea what to do with babies. I had never like, I mean, it held a baby, but like I had both of the kids and I, I breastfed, which was, I think so beneficial because it, it forced me actually like, all right, hi, yep. how are you? I guess we got to get to know each other. But like every yeah. time the baby would cry in the beginning, I just handed it off to her and she knew, uh, what, she knew what to do with the baby and she would like right. swaddle and then, she was so good with the kids and like, even though I was breastfeeding, she would get up when they cried and get them their diaper changed and everything. And I would sit down and she'd hand them to me and was like, it was always 50, 50. It was never, it was, I know women who'd be like breastfeeding and just staring at their husbands while they left. And just like, Oh my God. I hate you. But so it's really interesting because my ex was the same. I mean, we had, but he was the burper. Like he was brilliant. Oh, yeah. So as soon as I was done, he would he would take him. But he we also had really severe colic. My son had severe, severe colic. So like it was all hands on deck 24-7. Yeah. It yeah. was like there was no way that he could have. I mean, I suppose there are men who do, but yeah, he was very again, he's a unicorn. He was so right there and involved from start to But I do think a lot of that is like it's some of them just don't want to, but I think some of them like me, they're just scared they're gonna break the baby. Yeah. And so sure. You have to just do it. And a lot of times men come on board when the babies get a little less breakable and even yeah, like six months right. where they're just like, they're oh, actually they're, like their head like smiling. Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. and it's not that they just, they don't want to mess it up. And so they're just like, you know what you're doing, you, you're doing it better. And you know, yeah. but right. um, yeah, she was always, she was, we were, we were very good. We were always very good at co-parenting and, mm-hmm. and, um, sharing the load and all that kind of stuff. And so I think that's sort of translated into our co-parenting post-divorce is we're both very fair people and we both adore our kids and know that our kids adore us. And so it's important that, you know, we both be a part of their lives and we both make them the priority. So, yeah. you know, it's nice to have gone to that place where, that's our focus. You know, we can coexist without there being hostility and all that. So that's, what's best for the kids. It just took a while to get there. And I think that's something, you know, like you have this idea of what you're going to be and it's all going to be, you know, sunshine and roses and poppy fields, but that doesn't necessarily happen. I sort of had expectations for myself at the beginning that I didn't meet. And I was really disappointed in myself for the way that I kind of exploded and my emotions took over. That's just not me, right? Like I hold it together. I'm a very even keeled person and that's sort of my thing. And so I Mm -hmm. spun off my axis and I, I was really disappointed in myself for that. I've sort of forgiven myself a little bit, but we've, we've, you know, righted the ship and there, you have to have some grace during that time to know that it's not all going to be picture perfect. And you're not just going to no. land at these situations where. No, I think it's important that you take the time, right? Like you can have a goal and that's great, but you're going to, it's going to, there's a process to getting there. Like you said, you guys are, you do your holidays and stuff together, but you're like, but we're a long time out from our divorce. You know, like we time. really, that's we, right. we had yeah. these dreams of being this family, you know, like the co-parenting yeah. family, high fives and holidays together and then i think we tried to do that the first year and it was just awful always it's always don't don't do it the first year don't do i say it all the time everyone does it anyway but just you'll learn yourself yeah it was an absolute disaster and then it just it makes it so you don't want to try again you know Mm -hmm. yeah give it some time Don, thank you so much. i'm so excited about this book when is it going to be released where can people find it can they pre-order it the book's coming out in january 
the beginning of January. Awesome. So it'll be available wherever you find books. <laughs> wherever, wherever you, wherever that might be. Yes. Um, and this is the shit no one tells you about divorce. And it's, it's really, you guys, it's a really fun read. It's really, um, it's funny. Dawn's writing style is, is hilarious. And I think it's a really great book and I highly recommend it. Well, thank highly, you. highly, highly. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. You're so welcome. Thanks so much for coming on, Dawn. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at the Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.